Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hi, this is Zach Stevens from Machines of Grace, and you are listening to Rob and Mark from... Mark and John. Stop. Cut. Mark and John. Hi, this is Zach Stevens from Machines of Grace, and you are listening to Mark and John from Talking Metal. Crank it up. guys, welcome to a special edition here of Talking Metal. A lot of great stuff going on uh, that I wanted to tip you guys off to. One is Marzeri's show on Bionic Striegel Radio. We're going to play an interview from it today by uh, Dave, Menachet- Dave Menachetti from Y&T. Yeah, I saw Y&T open up for Ace a couple of times back in... The 80s, late 80s. Maybe we'll post one of these old photos where I had the exact haircut of Dave Menachetti and uh, James Lomenzo from White Lion used to say that I was like the like teen version of Dave Menachetti back then. Cool. It was a great band, Y&T. Uh, such a history. If you're not familiar with them, go check them out. They date all the way back to the, I think, the 70s. Yesterday and tomorrow they were originally called, and Dave is the, the ringleader of it all. So this is our good friend Victor. He uh, does numerous metal shows uh, out of his uh, home in Spain. Um, some you can get in podcast form, others stream on uh, the, the stream, bionicstriegelradio.com or talkingmetallive.com. You can check them out there on Thursdays at 8 p.m. East Coast time. Uh, I guess that would be 5 p.m. West Coast time. But anyways, we're, we're honored that Victor is letting us air this interview he conducted with Dave from Y&T. Here it is. Hey everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from YNT, and you're listening right now to Mars Attacks. Hey everyone, welcome aboard another episode of Mars Attacks. This is Victor, you know me as uh, Mars Aries 2005 from the Talking Metal Forums. For those of you that have uh, come from the Talking Metal Forums, the intro there was from the legendary guitarist and leader of Y&T, Dave Manichetti, who I had the pleasure and the luck to um, to interview uh, earlier this week. Uh, they were here in Spain 
starting off the um, Spanish part of their European tour here in Santander, which is a city that I'm closest to. And uh, I got to tell you, Dave was very down to earth. Um, no attitude whatsoever uh, with him at all. Um, I had asked for a fraction uh, of the time to speak to him, and I think I could have spoken to him for forever. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, his father just did pass away. Um, I did speak to him uh, slightly uh, regarding that. I gave him my condolences, and I'm very appreciative that they actually uh, were able to schedule me in uh, for the interview. Uh Due to the fact that uh, there was such a uh, difficult situation uh, within the YNT camp and the Dave Menachetti uh, family. Um, and I didn't know until the last moment that uh, I was going to have the ability to, uh, or I was going to be granted uh, permission to speak to him or not. So I, I do want to thank, uh, you know, his, his wife uh, and manager Jill for arranging this and to Dave for giving. Uh, giving me what I think is uh, is a, a really great interview. I think you guys will uh, feel that as well. Uh, I did have to edit out the beginning of the interview just because there were some technical issues on my end, but everything more or less uh, straightened itself out. Um, but without further ado, let me uh, play a quick track from uh, Y&T and uh, just jump right into the interview afterwards. <laughs>
What I wanted to uh, discuss a little was the uh, tour that you guys are doing right now. Um, you guys have just started a um, second leg of a European tour uh, now in October, and you started off in Ireland, and tonight's the first night in Spain. Um, right. One of the oddities here, not so much oddities, is that in the north of Spain, we hardly get any bands, hardly any international bands, but looking at the tour dates um, on your website, Y&T has played here the last five years. Why right. is that? Well, uh, I mean, I, I have to credit that mostly to um, to the promoter because he uh, he's always always been so good about you know moving us around the country, mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, Robert uh, is, is is our guy, and he's uh, yeah, I mean he's he's always tried to do that. He's he's tried to make sure that each year that we come back, that we you know try to hit some different places. And, um, you know, I mean, I leave it all up to his expertise <laughs> and, uh, he's never been wrong. I mean, we, in fact, the first time we played Bill Bow, I, I wasn't even aware of Bill Bow that much at the, at, at the first time we, we came and it was right. just like, wow, amazing. <laughs> so, you know, as each, each time we, we hit someplace new, of course, it's a new experience for us, but, um, but we're happy to certainly, you know, try to tread into new territory each time. Sure. And I think the the good thing here for those people that aren't aware of the geography, Bilbao isn't all that far away. It's a 45-minute uh, car ride, more or less. So right, right. It, it isn't that far-fetched that people from Bilbao or from Asturias, which is the province to the left of us, uh, would actually uh, join in and, um, and come see the show tonight. And absolutely looking at the dates there, you obviously see that he has spread you guys out throughout the uh, entire north of, of Spain. With the tour so far, I'm assuming that everything has gone fairly well. Yes, yeah, it's been fine. Um, we've we've had some really good shows so far. Uh, we have, you know, for some reason or another, always seem to have avoided uh, Ireland. So that was our <laughs> first first uh, sort of foray into our own headline thing over there. We'd been there before with uh, uh, ACDC, but that was many many years ago uh, in Dublin. But but had never been up to Belfast. So again, you know, we're we're trying to get out and, and tread into some new territories uh, or, or some territories that we should have been at so many times before, but, uh, you know, for one reason or another, we hadn't hit. So it's, it's been good. And then of course we, we went up to and, uh, Scandinavia and, and, uh, and played in Norway and in Sweden, which are, you know, pretty big strongholds for Y&T anyway. Uh, the mm -hmm. Swedish fans have been, uh, have been great to us for years. So it's, um, it's, it's a nice thing to, to always get back to those areas. Excellent. Uh, so I guess Scandinavia is what has stood out the most so far from the tour, or is there any? Uh, no, I, I'd say they've all been really good. I mean, okay. again, because we hadn't been in Ireland, I, I think the fans were especially crazy, and, and, you know, it was like, wow, you know, finally, you know. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it, it was great. I mean, both uh, Dublin and Belfast, they were just, you know, tremendous, so just just so loud. And, and again, the same thing in, in, in Scandinavia. Everywhere we've gone so far, you know, Germany and, and Holland, it's all been great. Um we're, we're lucky, you know. I mean, that's, that's the way I look at it. <laughs> we're lucky people to to uh, to have the fans that we do. Right. Well, I think it's really interesting because looking at all the dates that you guys are doing, you have other bands out there that probably broke it big around the same time that you guys did, towards the early to middle 80s. And they play five festivals, and they call that a tour. They put out a DVD right. and uh, release all these uh, different press releases and everything else. And that's a tour. And you guys are actually touring how many months out of the year? I mean, I've, 
this uh, European leg lasts until November, more or less, right. and then you right. have dates in December in the States. So I think that's really a testament not only to the fans, but to the actual material that you guys present, that after all these years, people still want to go out and see Y&T night after night. Yeah, well, you said it perfectly. Absolutely. I, 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 I think that's exactly right, too, because, you know, we've been asked so many times, you know, what is it about this? You know, why are so many people into you still and everything like that? And I, I think it does come down to the material, uh, you know, first and foremost. And, and then, of course, you know, the fact that we always do a good show live. I mean, we, we just, you know, our hearts are in the performances. There's never, ever been a question about that. We, we're not the kind of band that, even though we've been around for a long time, that we take that for granted. You know, when you see us on stage, we are not going through the motions. We, we truly enjoy every moment we're on stage. So I think that reflects to the fans, you know, and they, they, they pick that up. And, uh, you know, and, again, and, of course, you know how that is. It's, it's the fans and the band interaction every night that makes for a great show. So Sure. Uh, and I agree with you 100% there. I mean, I've seen bands come here and check was in the mail and they were sort of up there, <laughs> you know, going through the motions. And, and I actually went on a message board and mentioned something like that and had a, a band member of a somewhat famous band that I won't mention um, actually give me all types of excuses. But people are paying to see you give it your all every night. And obviously, yes. if not, you know, you wouldn't be around uh, going through, you know, uh, all the all the different fads that have come and gone. You guys are still here, you know. Right. So, um, as far as the people that are coming to the shows, have you seen anything with, say, the uh, the new age of uh, the, the the video game era with Guitar Hero or Rock Band or things like that influencing younger people coming to see the shows? Are the ages more or less the same? What are you seeing out there in the crowd? Well, it's funny you say that because somebody had just asked me that earlier and, um, you know, like a couple of days ago and just before we were going on stage. And then we went on stage and I looked out and there were all kinds of young guys, you know, standing in front. And right. I thought, wow, okay, well, yeah, there you have it. I mean, I, certainly we've been seeing it all along for the last couple of years, especially um, a, a lot of uh, young young teenagers and, and you know, coming to the shows and uh, you know, rockers. You know, I mean, they, they've got the shirts on. They're, you know, they look the part. It's, it's just, you know, and they're totally getting into the songs. And a lot of them are singing, you know, every lyric. So they've already, you know, you know, obviously tuned themselves to to Y and T already before they've come. Right. So you know, it's it's great. I mean, I I, I can't. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I can't say that I'm uh, completely surprised, but I will say that it is, it, it's nice to see it, you know, because you never know as, as you go along with your career, whether or not, you know, you're going to incorporate into that some, some new fans along the way and, and young fans at that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see that happening. It's obviously not happening just to us. It's happening to a lot of uh, what I would consider sort of leg legacy bands of sure. the seventies and eighties and sixties, even sometimes, you know, whatever, um, so it's it's good because you know I mean all music eventually starts from somewhere you know mm -hmm. and 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 I think that um, you know to some degree the 60s and 70s artists you know kind of started something you know that that everybody else took from at, at some point along the way mm -hmm. and, and and certainly used something of of that and and I think that it's good that 
that uh, you know young kids can still have the opportunity to see some of these bands that started stuff from day one. I mean, they can still come out and see a band like uh, you know. I don't know. There's any number of them that are still playing out there, you know. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know ACDC and uh, and 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 a band like, um, you know, Jesus. Uh, there's so many of them, Deep Purple and so on and so forth. You know that mm-hmm. that that were guys that we all kind of listened to to get our own kind of licks, you know, right. as we were going about. So, you know, they're the forefathers of it all, I suppose. Um, uh, absolutely, and and I agree with you. And like you're saying, with these legacy bands obviously they're with with any generation of music you only have probably a select number that survive and go all the way to the end or it can continue to play at the same level and obviously right. you you guys are still there so right yeah uh, um as far as the um gear that you guys are using does it vary at all from what you guys are using here in europe to what you're using in the states well, it has been a little bit. Um, last year, well, actually earlier this year, I should say, uh, when we first came out in June, mm-hmm. um, there was a, a manufacturer of amplifiers out here, Peter Diesel, that uh, was a big fan of the bands, and he had uh, gotten a hold of us and said, would you guys like to use my amplifiers on this tour? And, of course, I, I was unaware. I'd heard the name Diesel Amplifiers, but I had never played through them. So. Right. We just, you know, but I, I checked with some guitar player buddies of mine. They're like, oh, yeah, those are great. You know, those are like killer amps. So, so I was like, well, all right, let's, let's just go for it, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, the first, the first night of the tour in, in June, I think we were playing in, um, in Paris. And, and we, you know, we just wanted to make sure we had enough time to do a decent sound check. So, so in case these amps were, you know, not, not cutting it for us, that we could get something else in there. But, man, right. from the first first note on the, you know, once I dialed it in, it was like, these are amazing. So I, that's the difference. The difference is, is that now we come back again this time, and, uh, and again, Peter Diesel has supplied us with the amplifiers. So we, we are playing different amplifiers than we do when we're uh, on our own home turf right now. Right. When, we're at, when we're at home, the guitar players mostly play with, um, uh, well, I play with a, a Mesa Boogie, and, uh, and so does John, but John also brings his, uh, his PV Classic amplifiers out, which, which sound really good. So, okay. So that's kind of what the, the differences are. Um, but as far as the drums go, uh, you know, Mike is using his favorite kit out here, which is a Yamaha kit. Mm-hmm. He loves Yamaha drums, and so it's the same thing that he's got basically at home. And uh, and Phil always gets a, a, an SVT and a and a, um, a jazz bass and everything. So that's all the same. Everything's pretty much the same except for our guitar players' rigs. And and again, right. I, I have to credit Peter Diesel for that because those those amplifiers are killer. And I and I now I want one, of course, for home. So I'm going <laughs> to take one home with me. <laughs> Excellent. Um, is as far as the guitars that you're using, they're still the the same Les Pauls that you're using over in the states, same Yamahas and and so on. Yeah, except that we can't bring them all out here because uh, of the restrictions from flying. Um, right. You know, unfortunately, we're lucky that we can even take two guitars over here because of just you know it costs so much money if we were to bring extra baggage with us. It's right. You know, every flight would, would it would it would end up we could buy the guitars all over again if we did that. So right. So basically, I bring two guitars with me. I bring my old classic '68 Les Paul and mm-hmm. I and I bring um, a Strat with me. And and usually that Strat is my blue Strat because I, it's my favorite one. Oh, okay. Okay, and there was actually a company that was making a um, 
uh, a Menachetti model uh, guitar as well, wasn't there? Right. Yes, that's right. And I brought that on the road in uh, 2006. Uh, in fact, when we did, when we did the DVD, that was the that was the guitar I was playing, because uh, my Les Paul at that time was not uh, not in in any shape to be played. In fact, the, the neck was being repaired on it. So. Um, so uh, I took that uh, the Bechelia guitar and mm-hmm. uh, and I brought it with me and uh, it it was just killer. It's just, it's a it's a great guitar and and I love playing it. But boy, is it heavy! <laughs> <laughs> it kills me after about you know two hours on stage, man, to have that eleven pound monster around my neck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I mean, obviously, if you're if you're used to uh, you know the the weight of your Les Paul or the Strat. You know, right, go, right. going for that, and, and especially under those extremes where you don't have a choice. It's either that or nothing, more or less, you know? Exactly, yeah. So, well, no, and I love that guitar. It's certainly not a second choice kind of right. thing, but it's, but it's a, yeah, it's just that, you know, obviously the weight difference made a difference in the long run. My, my Les Paul's about nine pounds, and, and I think that Bechelia is right around 11. And uh, the two pounds doesn't seem like that, that much, but... Um, you throw 11 pounds around your neck for two hours. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you there. Um, let me uh, dial the clock, the, the clock back a few years here. And um, looking back at all the videos you guys did, um, it, it seems as if all your videos were on par with everyone else's videos of that time. If you look at anything like Don't Stop Running or Contagious or, or Mean Streak, um, they all uh, were, in my opinion, on par with the Twisted Sister videos or the Rat videos or Motley Cruz. Anyone else out there? Was there any competition between the bands to see who could top who with their next video? Um, you know, it probably was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think in our regard, you know, we were just, you know, young and dumb. You know, I mean, when it came to videos, uh, we we kind of showed up at the video shoot. We 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 heard what the what the concept was that the that the pr- promoter I mean the producer had or whatever mm-hmm. and we we gave our ideas but you know at that point you know these guys already had their ideas and they weren't going to listen <laughs> so <laughs> you know so so it was kind of it was kind of out of our hands to some degree um, I, I plead a little ignorance in that regard we <laughs> probably should have been a little bit more on top of 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 really saying what we wanted to do because right. you know the one thing that what we hated was videos where you know musicians that were actors right. you know and, and and had to play a part you know and 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 it was always better if we could just do some sort of thing that it showed the band playing, you know, in a live capacity. I think that would have been better for all of us had had we had more opportunities of that in every one of our videos. So, you know, those those are my pet hates about about you know our videos and so many videos that were gone mm-hmm. that had gone out at that time is that, you know, I wish we had had more of this sort of live you know kind of vibe to to our videos than uh, we ended up doing one that was sort of more of a live thing. And that was, uh, for don't be afraid of the dark, but it wasn't played very often. It was sort of at the end of, uh, of, of Geffen's reign with Y and T, which was a very short lived one. And right. so, you know, they, they just didn't really push it very much. Which, which is coincidentally the, if I'm not mistaken, the two albums that have not been remastered, correct? Correct. Yeah. And, and the reason that they weren't remastered was, was that at the time when we were first starting to come back with these remasters, um, those two records were still available from Geffen. And so, you know, uh-huh. we, we, we have to have done something different 
in order to have, I mean, we would literally have had to take the, the masters in and redone them again, and which actually I wouldn't mind doing because uh, the 10 record in particular is, is one that I think really could use a remastering because mm-hmm. uh, though the mix was okay, uh, it was a bit thin sounding, uh, thinner sounding than, than certainly we recorded it with. And, um, and so it would have been, it would be nice to get that back and sort of, just fatten it up a bit and uh, get it back sure. out there again. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't realize as well is is when they converted a lot of these old vinyl albums to CD, they screwed up the mastering altogether. So that's oh, what's yeah. great about all of these reissues yeah. where you're actually hearing the albums like they were intended to initially sound. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because of the fact that it's now, you know, 2009 and we've got we've gotten so far along with you know conversion from analog to digital you know mm-hmm. i mean the original analog to digital conversions as you were sort of i think you know talking about were were pretty bad i mean yeah. they were, you know in fact it was much better if you had a decent turntable mm-hmm. you know to just keep listening to your analog than to listen to some of those remasters i mean they were just horrid yeah. so uh you know now you know we've got much better gear and uh, and, and people are are so much more you know hip to how to do things you know so, so it's it's great, and we can get these analog masters back from you know from the archives, and a lot of times they have to be what they call um, you know baked because right. the tape gets so fragile that it, as soon as it goes across the the tape head one time, it starts shedding all of the tape off. So right, you right. have to you have to liter- literally put it in into a very low uh, oven temperature kind of baking process in order for it to sort of like seal the tape back on to the material before you play it again. So you just basically do that and you can get these amazing punchy happening analog masters back and then, you know, take them into the digital domain the right way now. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it really is a, it really is a good thing. Well, did you have any issues remastering the other albums with uh, the tapes themselves, or were they all fine when you actually got your hands on them? Uh, they were all pretty much in decent shape. I mean, obviously, they, they all had to be baked again, mm-hmm. um, because these are, you know, tapes that are well older than 10 years. And um, so, yeah, but, uh, you know, they came to us in, in really decent shape. I mean, obviously, there's some things that happen with any tape, no matter what you know it, when it gets to a certain age where you know you start losing some frequencies a little bit or some other frequencies bump up a little bit you right. know it's just the typical you know stuff that happens in in a sort of technical way uh but but the guys that know how to master correctly they they they've already seen that a lot of times come across their palate so they just know exactly what to do you know they they know okay right. now yeah this is it this is we got to take this bump down here and add a little more top end that was missing now and this and that so it, it all comes together pretty well and but it's just nice to have those analog masters because the digital masters that they made from the analog masters when they first went to digital, mm-hmm. like I said, are so terrible that you don't want to make a, you don't want to make your masters off of those. You want right. to go back to the original source, you know. Right. Uh, I I agree with you uh, completely. Uh, again, uh, you you hit the nail right on the head. A lot of those old albums, if you were to continue to listen to them on vinyl, sounded a million times better than those initial CDs. Yes. Um, who is the oddest person that's come up to you and mentioned that you were an influence to their playing or someone that would surprise other people um, that they mentioned you as an influence? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, 
you know what? Almost every year there there are at least two or three guitar players that that I've met, you know, mm-hmm. that I that I had never had a chance to meet before, but were you know famous guys that um, that will say something like that to me. And unfortunately, right at this particular moment, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank as to as to what persons I can say exactly, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just, it never, never fails to amaze me that there are some people out there that I thought wouldn't have known me from anybody, you know, mm-hmm. that, that said, oh man, you know, you were one of my faves, you know, and I was like, wow, you're right. kidding me. Wow. How that's cool. That's, that's, that's really <laughs> nice to hear. And, you know, and, and then I hear some other things, you know, third party from, from other people and, uh, like, um, let's see, uh, I'm just trying to remember. Somebody just told me something like a couple of months ago that that was really surprising to me. Uh, that Billy Gibbons, that's right, mm-hmm. uh, ZZ Top's guitar player, had mentioned something really nice about me, and I thought, wow, I didn't <laughs> even know he knew I was alive, man. Right. <laughs> you know, and he said, you know, if there's one rock guitar player that can play the blues, it's Dave Menachetti. And I thought, did he really say that, or are you just jiving me? You know, but right. sure enough, it was in like an article or something that he had fairly recently had, had wow. an interview with somebody. And I thought, well, damn, man, that's 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 cool. You know, because I, you know, because I remember when I was first starting to play guitar that, you know, in a rock band at least, you know, that, that Billy Gibbons was like, you know, he was an influence for me because I was so into bluesy kind of playing and mm-hmm. he was, you know, the to me at that time, one of the ultimate blues hard rock guitar players, you know, mm-hmm. sort of was able to put that together. So, yeah, and, and so so things like that happen to me every year and uh, and it does sort of, you know, put me in in a place where I, I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> I mean, not that I'm trying to, you know, you know, put down my, my legacy as a guitar player or whatever, mm-hmm. but it just, you know, you don't know how far reaching a particular artist can be to, to other people. You sure. just have no, there's no way you, you could know, you know, and, until you eventually either meet these people or, or hear about them from somebody else. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it's, it obviously makes me proud. I, I, I feel good about it. Um, but it's very strange, you know. I, I have this thing about me where I kind of disassociate um, uh, the Dave Menachetti, uh, you know, musician part from the Dave Menachetti um, person part. Sure. And, and and it's kind of like you know they're two separate entities all living together. In other words, I don't take myself seriously. In other words, <laughs> I, I guess that's the easiest way to say it. You know, right. I mean, it's it's like I really appreciate all of that, and, and but I just love what I'm doing, you know, and it's not it's not that. Um, that big of a deal to me to just go out there and and have a great time and play and and get off on what I'm doing. That's just part of my life, you know. It's it's not it's I don't consider myself special by any means. <laughs> well, that's that's definitely great to hear because you interview so many bands that, or you read interviews from so many bands that uh, that have had a tenth of the popularity that you've had and. You know, it seems like they have a, a, a great big ego and need to be stroked constantly. And uh, it, it's awesome to speak to someone of your stature to actually, uh, you know, look at things in, in that perspective. So, well, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, to some degree, when as we were getting, you know, popular, you know, coming up in the ranks, I, I noticed that there was a certain trend that was happening. And, you know, this isn't to say that it's always like this, but, but to me it seemed like the people that were the least popular had the biggest 
egos. Right. Because, because, you know, I think they were just trying to, you know, assert themselves to everybody. Like, look at me, look at me, man. I'm great. I'm great. You know, right. you got to check me out, you know, because they didn't have any sort of, you know, confidence in themselves that have been, you know, sent, sent to them from all the fans and everything, you know, they, they, they yeah. hadn't sort of, you know, become themselves yet, you know, with everyone right. else and felt, and felt good about it. Now, I don't, now it's not to say that there aren't a bunch of assholes out there too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, there's always those guys, you know, no matter yeah. how popular they were and how, you know, how well they already know that they're confident and whatever, you know, I mean, there's certainly some guys out there that, uh, I, you know, I can't talk to personally. I mean, they'll come up to me and be fans of ours, but I'll just be like, you know, you know, I don't want to hang with them, you know, because right. they're just not, you know, because, you know, most, but I'll tell you what, to, from my standpoint, most of the guys, and maybe it's just because we're, you know, fellow musicians and they're nice to me or whatever, but mm -hmm. most of the guys that, that I've met over the years that are the biggest names are the nicest guys. Mm -hmm. And again, maybe it's because they've, they've already done it and, and they've, they've got their confidence in themselves. They're not trying to prove themselves at every last second. You know what I right. mean? You know, so they, they already know they, they, okay, I did it. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with myself now. So it's cool. Everything's normal, you know, but uh, you know, that's, that, I think that's true to some degree. And then sort of like the, well, some of the mid-level guys there, you know, there's a few still jerks out there and, you know, but uh, you know, I don't want to talk about them because they, 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 they they spew their name all over the, the place to their own self. So right. <laughs> uh, it, vice versa to the previous question that I asked you: Are there any contemporary players out there that you listen to, or or newer bands that you actually listen to that may surprise people? Um, that's the, you know I think that if if people were to look at what was on uh, my MP3 player, everything would surprise them. <laughs> Because uh, I, I listen to all kinds of music. That's the thing. I, mm -hmm. I always have. And, um, you know, before I probably put my first note to a, to a Yesterday and Today or a Y&T song, you know, I was listening to pop. I was listening to jazz a lot. Mm -hmm. I was listening to R&B and, uh, and blues and, and, and opera and, and classical music and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, my head was into everything, mm -hmm. uh, but, but my heart and soul were, were into the hard rock thing and, sure. and, and, and the bluesy kind of hard rock and things like that. So, uh, but you know, those are the kinds of things that I listen to to this day. I mean, on, on my MP3 player, I have Pavarotti, I have, you know, I have Henry Mancini, you know, <laughs> I mean, stuff, stuff that you'd be like, what, right. <laughs> you know, and, and at the same time, I've, I've got, you know, great blues guitar players on there and, and tons of jazz. Mm -hmm. I am a, I'm, I'm a jazz freak. I love fusion. I love old time jazz. I love everything. So, you know, and it's funny too, cause our, we have, you know, uh, our drummer in the band uh, that's been with us for almost four years now, uh, mm -hmm. Mike Vanderhuel, he, He's like the only guy that, that I've had in, in, in any Y&T, you know, organization that has been like a jazz fan. So we're like, you know, wow, hey, did you see this one? You know, we went out and bought the Frank Sinatra live at, at the Sands, you know, CD with the great band behind him and everything. Mm -hmm. And we're like getting off on that. So, yeah, there's probably a whole lot of people that, that would be shocked by the stuff that I listen to. But uh, as far as new rock bands are concerned, I, I, you know, I, I really don't listen to the radio that much anymore. And uh, so the only thing time i really see these guys is if i happen to see them on on some live thing on tv or uh or we play with them you know right and 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 that's the kind of the, the thing that happens to me is that i just end up finding out about it that way um 
I'm sort of one of those guys that, that just kind of listens to whatever I listen to and, and, and doesn't really, you know, bone up on all the latest stuff when it comes to my own, you know, uh, kind of music that we're out there doing. But right. we, we, we played with a band just the other day that I thought was really impressive. It was a band called Evergrey that uh, that opened up for us in in, um, in Norway. And I thought, wow, mm-hmm. these guys are great. You know, I mean, this is sort of more heavy. Uh, I don't know what they what they call that kind of music exactly. But some people say, oh, that's the death metal or the this or that. But, you know, I, I didn't get that from it. But um, right. Yeah. It was, you know, there's the little kinds of bands that I see every, every year that that I go, wow, man, these these guys are happening, you know, good stuff. But no, I don't, I don't have anybody that I could, you know, this is a long answer. I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> that I could that I could just point to right now and say, no, this is who I'm listening to now. This is this is the shit. <laughs> no, but I I think that still you're you gave me a pretty good answer there because uh, I mean. Obviously, one of the detriments to hard rock or to metal is that people just think that you have to listen to just hard rock or metal to be a great musician or true to that music. Like you, I have absolutely everything under the spectrum, you know, on my iPod or or on my computer. So, you know, it's almost out of fault that people don't pull things from different types of music, things that they like and and embed it into uh, what they truly love. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And and you know because I, I think that makes you a better songwriter anyway because right. you, you've got ideas from melodies from all over the place. You know, it didn't just come from a from a you know the same thing in this tight little corner. You know, right? Uh, you know, you got to expand your knowledge. You know, but but you know, I, I think that's that goes as a as a compliment to lots of musicians out there that are just fans of music in general. You know, it's not, it's, you know, we didn't, you know, I'll tell you, in, in the 70s, we did not get into this music because because of, you know, hard rock and hard rock itself. I mean, mm-hmm. we got into being musicians because we love music primarily, you know, and, and with that means all good music, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that so many of us appreciated. It wasn't just me, believe me. I mean, Leonard listened to everything. Phil listened to everything. You know, I mean, Phil and I would sit up nights and listen to Stevie Wonder albums, you know, and with our headphones on and just be totally into it, you know. Right. And, uh, you know, and but at the same time, then we'd put Skid Row on or something, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever, or Mountain or, you know, any number of things that were completely different. But, um, right. you know, so it's all just a love of music that, that and it ends up translating, I think, into uh, into your own music in the long run, Um you know, all that melody is going to have to come out some way or another, you know? (laughs) Right. Well, I think that's an interesting point, too, because a lot of people want to put the different types of music into subgenres and put it all, tie it all up into a nice little bow, into a nice little package. And instead of looking at music as good or bad music, which is what I prefer, you know, because you either like something or you don't like it. It really doesn't matter where it comes from as long as it's good. Yeah, exactly. And and thankfully, there are some people that, you know, in some of these festivals can deal with that same kind of thing, like, you know, Sweden Rock in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's, here's a festival where you'll, you'll see somebody, you know, uh, that is completely different from each other go on stage right after each other, you mm-hmm. know. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, the crowd is into it all, you know. It, you, you can get yes and Twisted Sister on the same stage, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Y&T and... Uh, 
you know, I don't know, any number of of other bands that are that are just like completely different, you know, something right. that would be death metal or something, you know, or 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 even you know earlier than that, uh, you know, somebody like uh, Ian Anderson or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. going on stage. So, so you know, th- those are those are nice to see every once in a while because that's how it was when we first started out. I mean, mm-hmm. all all music that was not you know obvious sort of um, popular music, what they called at that time, right. uh, you know, would have just gone on the rock radio station. You know, mm-hmm. you would hear somebody that was kind of like, uh, almost like folksy, like a Richie Havens. This is back in the 60s and 70s. You mm-hmm. know, Rich, Richie Havens or or even Crosby, Stills, and Nash being played with a Jimi Hendrix and, and Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a band like Tower of Power with horns and everything. That was all considered rock. You know, right. it was just, it was, it, now... There's like 50 different types of rock. It's like, man, why? Right, right, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I understand that because you know, certainly there are certain types of rock music bands that that all try to sound a particular way. That you know, yeah, I, I can see where you all kind of want to have your own thing, you know. But um, you know, I, I I can still see the validity for it all being included together in one thing. Sure, uh, absolutely. Um, well. Um... Based on some of the answers that you've given me, can we expect to see a Dave Manichetti jazz album in the future? <laughs> Probably not. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, though I listen to it, that doesn't necessarily mean I can do well as a musician doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I, I, I can say that uh, I did try uh, somewhat. When, when Y&T first broke up in 91, mm-hmm. um, and there were quite a few years in the 90s where we just weren't doing anything, um, yeah, I, I sort of threw my attempt at it. I, I had a keyboard out in the studio, which I don't play mm-hmm. uh, very well, uh, <laughs> and which has actually helped me a little bit because uh, by putting my hands in places I didn't know where I was going to go, I actually created some ideas for myself. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of did sort of three-quarters of a fusion record um, to some degree, and, I, and it's, I don't know, maybe it's pretty good. I don't know. Maybe I might attempt it one of these days, but... Uh, but I I did of course you know come up with something that was more on the blues side kind of mm-hmm. thing and um, and and I really got off on that uh, that was that was great that was that was good fun and um, I I probably will do another one of those records coming up um, maybe in the next year or so ah uh, excellent so that would be the next uh, studio um, uh, venture that we would see from you or from Y and T would be possibly a, another blues album. No, that will be the second next thing you'll see because uh-huh. Y&T is is actually going to do a new record and uh, excellent. Yeah, and we 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 decided to do that last year and we stuck to it. And uh, earlier this year in January and February, when we had some time off, um, the band started you know sitting down and really getting serious about songwriting. And uh, over the last course of the last maybe seven months or so, we've we've tuned that in a little bit more, a little bit more. And now I'd say we have probably three quarters to, you know, certainly an album's worth, if not more than an album's worth of material. But uh, I think that we're only about three quarters of the way there. Uh, I, I, you know, when we get home from this tour and, uh, and after doing a few more shows at home, we'll, we'll have some more time to, to finish all the ideas up that I think that we need to uh, for the next record and, and record it and get it out uh, hopefully before summer of next year. Excellent. Excellent. I absolutely look forward to that, and I'm sure a lot of other fans will as well. Um, Are you still a Raiders fan by any chance? 
Uh, yeah, I even have. I'm looking at my Raiders uh, T-shirt that I have sitting here on the bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, sort of. I, you know, I mean, I, I was a big Raiders fan. My dad was like the 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 head, the uh, Raiders uh, president of the of, of the Boosters team, and you know, all that kind of stuff. That's right. club, rather. And uh, you know, we were into it. We had season tickets for years, and um, you know, I, I spent a lot of my uh, teenage years and 20s and, and 30s and everything, you know, going to Raider games. I mean, mm-hmm. that was part of my life, you know. And, uh, and and you know, so it's embedded in me to some degree. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I've i been so busy as a musician lately that uh, I haven't spent as much time in, in the football thing because a lot of times we're, we're touring when football is on right now and right. we're out of the country, so I don't have a chance to even watch it. But, uh, sure. but when I get home... You know, uh, I'm. Uh, you know, come Sunday, I'm. I'm sitting there in front of the TV all day watching all the games. So, I'm. I'm still a big football fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Raiders, not necessarily 100% anymore, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm. I'm. I'm still a fan. All right. Um, well, I appreciate your time. Uh, obviously, you've spent more time with me than what I'd initially asked uh, Jill for. And again, under, under the uh, circumstances, I do really appreciate you taking the time to uh, do the interview. And I do wish you guys luck with, um, with the tour and do appreciate your time and, and good luck with the show tonight and the rest of the tour. And I can't wait to hear the album when it comes out. All right. Cheers, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Nice talking to you. Yeah. Likewise. Okay. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Will you please welcome for their farewell performance the one and only, the fucking baddest, one and two. was a little Y&T right here on Talking Metal, courtesy of Victor, a.k.a. Mars Aries 2005, from the Talking Metal forums and from his great show on Striegel's Bionic Radio. Bionic Striegel Radio. Mars Mars Attacks. Yeah. Mars Attacks every, eight, uh, every Thursday at 8 o'clock. So check that out. A long time ago, I did an interview with these guys from Machines of Grace. Uh, kind of forgot about it, and it's been sitting on my hard drive. I just stumbled across it. Are you down with airing it, even though it's quite dated at this point? Yeah, man. You know, I think it's cool. It's a historical piece of talking metal history. Yeah, about two months ago, I met up with them. Uh, 
right outside of Rockefeller Plaza there where I work and uh, hooked up the, the Mac laptop and we recorded uh, an interview. So here is Machines of Grace from Massachusetts on Talking Metal. We'll end today's show with some of their music. Definitely, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Go to www.talkingmetal.com. Check the news section. Check the reviews. Check out our YouTube page. we got a really cool eight- or nine-minute piece with Ace Frehley up there, if you haven't already seen that. So lots and lots of content on TalkingMetal.com. And uh, if you really want to be cool, go to the store section and buy a T-shirt. Yeah, please. Show your support. Hey, this is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and we are here with Zach and Jeff from Machines of Grace. Welcome to New York. Thanks for having me, Mark. Pleasure to be here. You guys are staying pretty busy doing a lot of press while you're in town? Oh, absolutely. We've, uh, we're just starting today, but we've got the whole weekend planned out, and we are going to be speaking with Eddie Trunk on Monday. So, yeah, we're here doing what we can to promote our project. Cool. And there will also be a New York City gig at some point, right? We are playing Club Europa on September 13th with a, a metal band from San Diego, a band called Cage, which uh, I actually worked with some years ago. Sabotage did a tour on the West Coast, and Cage was the opener. So this was probably six years ago. But anyhow, this will be our debut performance in New York City. Cool. And for you New York listeners, that's out in Brooklyn in Greenpoint. Cool. I want to talk about the band and give the Talking Metal listeners a little history lesson on the Machines of Grace. Uh, A lot of people might not know that you guys aren't exactly a brand new band. You were together back in the day. This is your first record, but let's talk about the history going all the way back to, I guess, what, 1990? Yeah, that's actually where it all began. Uh, I met Zach in in Boston. He had a connection and a relationship with our guitar player, Matt Leff, from the, uh, the Musicians Institute in California, and Zach came from California out to Boston. Uh, Matt and I had been playing together, working on some songs and ideas, and knowing Zach and knowing the vocalist that he was, we flew Zach to Boston, and and the story began. Yep, and um, back at that time, we pretty much circumvented the New England circuit. Um, We started out playing Boston, clubs right in the center of Boston, we branched out to New Hampshire, Vermont. Uh, I guess Providence, Rhode Island was a big yep. you know, venue for us. Maybe a few little things in Connecticut. Um, so really the New England you know, area was the place that we really you know, came alive and you know, played all these songs. This Machines of Grace record is really a celebration of all the songs that we played back then with a little tweaks here and there to bring it into the year 2009. Obviously, I'm not going to be doing some of the Jeff Tate screams that you would hear uh, in 89, (laughs) just because it doesn't fit right now. But the thing about the music, the surprising thing about the music was, being the pure rock genre it was, if you just listen to the music alone without vocals, it's timeless. There's certain types of music you can make that don't really react over time. You can't really put a date on them. So luckily, this is the kind of music we write. It takes very little bit of uh, adjustment from a vocal standpoint, from a vocal melody and, you know, you know, lyricist, you know, type standpoint. 
to bring it right into where we are right now and to almost create something that people are kind of looking for that they're missing right now. So it's kind of worked out lucky for us with Machines of Grace where, you know, 80% of the music that we performed back then, heck, if we go back and play Boston House of Blues one day, our fans are going to show up and they're going to hear the songs and they're going to hear small differences, but the the best thing is they're going to recognize the songs, you know. And, um, you know, we added a few things for the new album, changed a few things around, turned some songs into, like, acoustic songs that weren't really acoustic songs back then, but really fit well now in that genre. And um, we're just happy to go back and be able to do it again the right way. We We didn't really have a chance to finish our dream you know i call that my first rock and roll dream that was the first band i was in as a lead vocalist um i was a drummer until then you know me and jeff shared a lot more than just bandmates we're we're both drummers you know and and i decided to make that jump from drums to lead vocalist and i went to school out uh in california at musicians institute that's where i met matt the first song we ever recorded together was was fly away which made it on the album. And, um, you know, from there we just kind of grew together and I honed my skills as a lead vocalist. And this was our original, you know, rock and roll dream to try to get a deal. Now, here we are, you know, whatever, 16, 17 years later, we have the resources. The guys in the band have done many, many things in the industry. It, it You know, now we can really feel like we're going back and, doing this thing right recording these things for the first time in an actual you know high quality performing cd environment which we didn't have before you know we were joking earlier about zach get these lyrics off this uh, board tape from bun Ratties, uh <laughs> in boston you know 16 years ago well i could make out about 50 percent of the vocals but 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 the vocal melody was there so the vocal melody was strong, and it was coming from my heart, and it, it might even not be something I might write today, just from the years that have gone by and the things that happen in life. And I write a lot of things about, you know, what happens in life and things that are going on in our country, anything, news stories. And, um, you know, we were able to, uh, you know, get all that together and piece together what lyrics I couldn't hear on the board tapes and, and make it work now it was it was unfinished business we 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 had a great product back then that was uh rudely interrupted by grunge which completely changed the whole musical landscape and and then along with that uh zach was presented with an opportunity to sing for for sabotage right right yep yeah the wicked witch band actually or the band back then actually opened up the door for zach to uh to take a step further and a year and a half later he brought me along so with with all of that behind us, you know, we're trying to take advantage of everything that we've learned over those years and the connections we've made. Cool. Now, you mentioned about updating some of the songs without the, you know, uh, Jeff Tate screams and stuff like that. What else do you guys do as as musicians? Uh, is there now, I, maybe neither of you guys are the question to ask this, but do you tune down the guitars? Are there things you do on the drums to to update the songs? Um, as no. far as myself and the drumming, I mean, it was it's all stayed very similar. Mm-hmm. There were certainly some things that we changed up because of arrangements and whatever. But 
what we were doing back in the day was, you know, we were proud of what we had, although it was unfinished as, as far as More tuning down. Yeah, you know, as, as far as, but here again, we were never in a studio recording all this stuff. So all of a sudden you get into a room and, and Matt, the guitar, the producer says, Matt, why don't you try something like this? The next thing you know, there's a different guitar part that completely fills the song out and changes the feel of it. But I think the core of it, I mean, speaking for myself, drumming-wise, I cleaned up some stuff that was unnecessary. And I think the end product is a lot cleaner and a lot stronger for it. Yeah, and as far as tuning down, I know of no instance where we change the tuning of the guitars. Um, Just melody they're, changes they're and some lyrics. They're in scale for the most part. There could be a few that they, you know, tune down a half a step or whatever to, you know, maybe drop... Drop D, drop C on the top string. I'm not real sure. But there's been no um, tuning differences. You can actually tell that if you compare a circle-to-circle record and then immediately put the MOG record on. You can tell that circle-to-circle tunes down because we're heavy. Machines of Grace doesn't. And that brings out a different style of my vocal, which I really like to explore after all these years, you know. And, um, you know, you, I might not be able to do everything I did in 89, but it's, it's darn, it's really darn close. But no tuning down, I like it. I want the next album to be exactly in the same kind of tuning, exercising that same uh, range of vocals that I'm doing. And It's something that separates our sound a little bit, too, from everything else that's going on. I mean, you can, you can listen to the CD and think, and think it's got an 80s flair to it but i think it's it's not tuned down in the vocals just it fits a certain way around the guitar that today almost everything is tuned down it seems like and when you hear our record it's completely you hear a difference immediately just in that fact so it's what we started with you know yeah. so we didn't want to we didn't want to mess with that it's played in scale and it it it, it results in a different type of vocal performance Right now, it is the month of September, uh, and the holiday season is coming. Do you guys have plans to take a break and go do TSO, or will you just keep going straight with this uh, through the holiday season? Well, I'll be definitely involved in TSO. Um, I've done the tour every year that it's gone out now. This will be year 11. Um, so as far as you know, MOG, we've got a few shows coming up beforehand, but obviously when I'm on the road with, with TSO, it's, it kind of shuts that idea down. Yeah, I mean, we're just going to wait for that to get done. We'll be working on some new stuff until then. We probably have about a half as much of material as we need for the next Machines of Grace album based on fan feedback. And um, we're going to work to finish that while he's out there, you know, finishing up his three months with um, with TSO. Um, you know, during that time probably take some time i got another band called circle to circle we're going to finish up that record see if we can get that one going and um you know it's gonna be busy i took on two full-time bands because you know with the economic situation right now why not you know take on two see how it helps you out um both of them have a lot to offer um machines of grace the 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 reaction and the impetus in the in the first two months has been something like I've never seen in my career. Yeah, I, I you even the four circle circle records I've 
haven't really seen this kind of reaction. So we're probably hitting on something big here. We just got to make sure that we're hitting on the second album the same things we're hitting here. And know, not to and, mention and just follow, the mark. follow it up with some live shows too. I mean, the, the, yeah. like Zach said, the reaction has just been extremely positive. Trying to fit in a live tour or stuff in, around everything else we've got going in on. In 2010, we're looking at maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot more in 2010. We have, we have three shows coming up right now. September 12th is, is uh, the Binghamton Area Metal Fest in upstate New York. Uh, September 13th is Club Europa here in Brooklyn, New York. And then September 24th, we're opening for Striper at the House of Blues in uh, Cleveland. So we've got three, three good opportunities to go out there and, uh, you know, show ourselves off and make some noise, get the buzz going, and then come first of the year next year, we'll be able to set ourselves up and do some more shows. Yep, that's a good plan. I mean, this album has barely even dropped and you guys are already talking about a second album which i think is pretty cool and exciting and just shows how devoted you guys are to the to the cause so there is writing going on already you have songs ready to go for a second full-length record that's true i mean i got a song of like 13 new songs from matt you know riffs well, that's the way we work he sends me riffs i work off that me and jeff we you know we kind of collaborate on the vocal thing on the vocal lyrics, um, and, you know. And plus we it, had a lot of stuff still left over from years ago that we never finished. That exactly. We, riffs that kind of, uh, I used to record all of our rehearsals. So we have riffs upon, you know, parts and parts and parts of things that were never pieced together and done properly. But, you know, here again, MOG, the strength of it came from back then. So kind of leaning back to some more ideas that we had from that era that are gonna you know bring that out and dust them off and you know finally finish them like he did with this i think is probably along with new ideas obviously we've all got a bunch of ideas going through our heads at all the time but um i think that is really going to be uh substantial in, in filling out the next record yep and you know we try you know every time you think about new record you try to you come modern and you try to you know, what's heavy now, you know, what's all this, we probably won't even be able, have to use those real heavy riffs that I received, uh, you know, out of the 13 stuff I got from Matt, I'd probably say seven of it is appropriate, because of, you know, the feedback and the stuff that's really strong and getting the best reaction from this record, we don't really have to go match everybody else and what they're doing right now, we've kind of found... Uh, a jara that we need to stick with coming from the heart you know yep and respect where it came from so yeah yeah if we and try, try being to too modern we're not going to sound like who we are exactly so we're going to have to stay with what's working there's always a risk that when you try to sound too modern you come off as being fake yeah i agree and and you know as long as it's good riffs i mean this band was based on the live sound that you get on our album is the sound we only had one sound paul hagar says what do you want us to sound like well we had one we, <laughs> we plugged in better. and played we plugged in and played live shows run it like you ran the live sound for three years straight front of house okay paul is our engineer, our engineer yeah producer. paul hagar and he's worked with avril lavigne pink he works with my cousin butch walker who's a famous producer that's your cousin? Yes, that's my first cousin. That's but my Paul, wife's Paul was doing son. live sound for us 
in the Boston area, New England area, back you know in the early 90s. So as we all ventured off and did our other professional things, so did Paul, and now he's got a he's got a great resume and, and a lot of he experience. moved to California. Yeah, he moved. And up that's in the how world. he met Butch. <laughs> you know, Butch lives in Malibu, and he lives a few towns over. And you know, whenever Butch doesn't have time, he'll say, "Mix Avril." So he you know, knows. Pink. He knows firsthand what we were, what we sounded like. Yeah, exactly. He was part, you know, initial in in uh, informing that years ago. So when we brought him in to do this record, he just basically picked up where he left off. Of course, with a little bit more experience and you know some better ideas, which we certainly benefited from because some Absolutely. of these songs took on a, a whole new life. Because he's, you know, producing the brand new artists of today, and this was exactly what he did with us so we expect that going forward and you know it should be really really neat yep 